Uh, okay, as you're turning and I'm turning as well to, to John chapter 15, I want to ask just a couple of questions to kind of maybe poll the audience, get an idea of what kind of a crowd I am preaching to. Uh, if you had to go out and buy a pickup truck tomorrow, how many of you are saying, okay, if I'm buying a pickup truck, I am buying GMC? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, Braden, he's all about it. Okay, I see one thumbs down. Anybody? GMC is your truck. Two fellas in the front. Okay. All right, three. Okay. All right. Uh, still adolescents, they don't know about trucks yet. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, how many of you would say, all right, if I'm, I'm buying a pickup truck, I am buying a Dodge or Ram? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Braden just wants a truck. That's all he cares about. <laughs> Okay, we've got about 25 of you. Okay, how many of you would say I'm buying a Chevy? Yeah. Okay, alrighty. I mean, Chevy GMC, basically the same thing, but I get, I'm tracking with you. Okay, how many of you would say, man, if I'm going to buy a pickup truck, I'm buying Ford? Okay, and here are the saved individuals in the room. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. Uh, I always grew up driving, a, driving Ford vehicles and then... Uh, uh, when the Lord allowed us to be able to purchase a truck, we, we were wrestling with the Lord. Said, man, what, what, do, what do you want us to buy? Should we do a Chevy? Should we do Ford? And I knew the Lord was not going to lead me to buy a Ram. Do you know why? Because when I, when I studied the scriptures, every time you see Ram, it dies. So I thought, Ford is the way to go. All right. John chapter 15 is where we're at here this, this, uh, this morning. This passage here, if you're familiar with John chapter 15, much of this is written in red. So John 14, 15, 16, and 17 is all part of a discourse that Jesus is giving to his disciples in the upper room. And I'm sure you've all heard messages preached out of these passages. Uh, John 15 is known for the the, uh, amazing and simple illustration of abiding in the vine. And honestly, if we just, we, we could spend all six sessions on that right there because it is so helpful to understand practically what abiding in the vine really means and it's, it, uh, it changes your Christian life. But this morning, what we're going to be looking at is verses 9 through 15. And here, Jesus is dealing with a truth that to all of us, at first glance, oftentimes we get frightened, confused by, or even feel compelled to resist. It is the truth that Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. This message I want to preach this morning is entitled, Loving God's commandments. Now let me ask you young people, if you are honest with me, when you hear a title like that, loving commandments, or you hear a preacher come up and say, hey, we're going to preach on the commandments of God. How many of you just have a warm, fuzzy feeling welling up inside of you? Okay, Braden, thank you, buddy. You're helping me out here. Okay, but we're being honest. You're being honest. Just like me, most of the time, if you hear someone's going to preach on commandments, you're kind of like, oh, here we go. The stone tablets that we're going to get beat over. The truth is, don't, we always find, don't most of us find ourselves thinking commandments of God, that's something to run from. Kind of like the handbook, when you go to college or you go to maybe a private high school and they say, okay, orientation service, we're going to look at the handbook and you find yourself thinking, yeah, this is not what I want, I'm not, I'm not excited about the handbook. Okay, anybody here been to teen camp and Brother Herbster said, okay, now we're going to look at the guidelines of teen camp? How many of you went, yes, one, okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, so here are the weird people, but other than that. Most of us don't naturally think to embrace commandments. And the reason why is because we have a wrong view of Christ's theology 
when it comes to commandments. You know, in this passage, it started in chapter 14, but Jesus is actually going to help us realize that commandments, his commandments, and here's my thesis, his commandments are not something to be resisted. His commandments are an invitation to closeness, an invitation to nearness, an invitation to intimacy. When Jesus offers us a commandment, it is not a form of restriction. It is actually an invitation. Obey this and you will know my presence. Commandments are actually something we ought to love. But again, we said naturally, most, most oftentimes we don't think that way. So here's what I want to do. We're going to look at this passage and try to understand how Jesus communicates the love of commandments and why we too often resist them. So start with me in verse 9 of John chapter 15. In verse 9, Jesus starts his argument about commandments this way. Verse 9, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Notice the word that's being repeated in verse 9. It's how he's starting his argument on commandments. Verse 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Did you notice in that passage that the word command is used several times? Did you notice that? If I was to ask you to count from verses 9 to 15, how many times the word commandment is used, could someone tell me the number? Why don't you all look there, and we're going to do this here just real quick, from in verses 9 to 15, how many times is the word commandment used? Someone yell it out as soon as you think you see the number. Okay, okay it's actually four times, all right? So four times, you were close, buddy. Four times the word commandment is used. Like I mentioned, he starts his argument all the way back in John 14, where he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So four times in just that short amount of verses, I think six verses there, he uses the word commandment. So it would, would you agree with me? He's trying to communicate something about commandments. Could you agree with me on that? Okay, thank you. He agrees. Now, listen, listen. How many times is the word love used? Now, this is maybe a little bit strange because we wouldn't put the same, those two words in the same sentence, love and commandment, but how many times is the word love used? Okay, you're off by one. Eight. Okay, eight times. Okay, y'all, listen. Eight times in the context of Christ explaining commandments, he uses the word love. In fact, Christ's theology Love is always connected to his commandments. In fact, the obedience to commandments, the fulfilling of commandments only comes through the action of love. If you were to look through this passage, you would find that he uses the word joy two times and friend or friendship three times. So in the context of commandments, he is trying to communicate love, joy, and friendship. Now, when you think of commandments, is that what you naturally think about? 
because in my natural, human, fallen state, I don't think that way, but Jesus does. So I want us to try to help our understanding to be realigned with Scripture. So this is how he starts his argument. Look at verse 9. This is how he starts the argument. He says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Abide, continue, experience my love. And then in verse 10 he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So he's, he's dealing with the fact that he's going to, uh, uh, it's through commandments. So here's how he starts his argument. Verse 9, he says this, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. If I asked you to think through history of the greatest illustration of a father loving his child in all of history, what would be the greatest illustration, uh, the greatest demonstration, the greatest level of love between father and son, who would it be? Would you say it could be Christ and the Father? Certainly, we could think about uh, human illustrations. We could go back to the great men in history, uh, men that we've read about. Uh, let's say uh, George, George Mueller or, or maybe uh, R.A. Torrey or men like that that we've read about, we, we know about. We say, man, I'm sure they had a great relationship with their son. Char Charles Spurgeon, I'm sure, had a great relationship with his children. But no mortal man can ever compare to the level of love that the Father had for the son. Now we get so used to, in, in reading the scriptures, we get so used to God being out there and us being down here that sometimes we don't actually realize he's a very real father. Jesus was a very real son. And, and, and if I think I'm a good father, I don't even hold a candle to how good a father he is. And so Jesus says, to the same level, as the father has loved me, I love you. So if you're going to understand how much he loves you, you have to understand how much the Father loves Jesus. Let me ask you this. Is there any place in Scripture that gives us a glimpse of how much the Father loves his Son? One thing that comes to my mind, there's two different places in the Scripture where audible, uh, uh, excuse me, human ears could hear an audible voice when God demonstrated how much he loved his Son. You remember that? Where is it? Yes. And anybody know the second spot? Mount of Transfiguration. And what was the phrase that he said? So that man's ears could hear. God in heaven, the greatest father that ever lived and, and since eternity passed. What did he say about his son? Yes, sir? He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Have you ever heard your father say that to you? Some of you have not. Some of you have. The greatest challenge that we have in assimilating, understanding God's love is we've not often seen it demonstrated in our world around us. And I'm sure many of you have heard this said, that if you've had a rough experience with a father who never showed much love, it's harder for you to understand the love of the father. But even if you had a great father, we still sometimes struggle to believe that God really loves us as much as he does. But this is what Jesus is saying. To the same level he loved me. Well, what did, that, what did that look like? It looked like Jesus, or God the Father, saying to Jesus, this is my boy, and he pleases me. So Jesus is saying, so that's what I say of you. If I am embedded into Christ at salvation, then when the Father looks at me because now I am his child, he looks at me and says, this is my beloved child, in whom I am well pleased. If I knew your, some of your names, I know a couple of them, but, uh, uh, and, and Braden's helped me because he wears it on his jacket. So if you guys wore name tags, that'd help me out. But if I knew some of your names, uh, let's see. I sat with you girls. Alexa, this is what he says. Alexa, you please me. 
He comes to Brother Gordon. He says, Brother Gordon, you please me. You say, but, 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 but you don't know what I did last night. You don't know what I said yesterday. You don't know the mistakes I've made. And God says, yes, I do. And you still please me. Can I ask you this? Why did the Father love Jesus Christ? Is it because Jesus never sinned? What do you guys think? Answer out loud, yes or no. Did God the Father love Jesus because Jesus had never sinned? Is that why he loved him? Yes or no? no. Did Jesus ever sin? No. no, Jesus never sinned. But listen, did the Father, listen up here, did the Father love Jesus because he hadn't sinned? Like, well, you know, Jesus, it was kind of on the line. We weren't sure if I was going to love you, but because you didn't sin, you made it to the cross and you, uh, you the ascension. Okay, now I love you. Is that, is that, was that the relationship? Did the Father love Jesus because he went to the cross and fulfilled his will? Did the Father love Jesus because he'd never made a mistake? Why did the Father love Jesus? Let that sink in. The Father loved Jesus because he was his son. That is what gives the worth. That is what qualifies Christ, the Son, for the Father to say, you please me, and no other reason. That's also why the Father can look at you and look at me in my shame, my brokenness, my remorse, my regrets, my sins, and God can still look at me and look at you and say, you please me. Because of sonship. As a teenager, it's hard to wrap your mind around this because you've never had a child. I remember as a kid, people would tell me, my dad would often say to me, Caleb, you're never going to know how much I love you until you have your own child. I remember thinking, like, but you spank me, and that hurts. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not catching the love thing. I didn't realize that that was actually an extension of his love. It, was, it flowed out of his love. But truly, I never could grasp how much a father could love a child until I had my own. When it came to children, I have never, and am still not, a baby person. I do not enjoy babies. I do not like diapers. Spitting up, you know, you're familiar with babies that they spit up, and like sometimes when they, they feed there, then the, what's in their stomach, it just kind of like that. Uh, my, after my firstborn was born, I had just gotten a suit dry cleaned, and I'm walking down our church hallway. I mean, just, I was, it was a nice three piece suit, you know, the vested, the whole deal. Hold my son, poof, down over the, mm, wear it like a badge, man, just be proud of that. I, you know, when it came to children, I never cared for little kids. I, I, in, my, in my mind, wait till they're four or five or six until they can finally maybe do something, and then they're useful, and then I can enjoy them. But I was never a baby person. When my wife and I got married, <clears throat> I don't know what it was, a year and a half afterwards, the Lord uh, gave us a, a little boy. We found out, he did the ultrasound, it's going to be a baby boy. And, and of course, in those early days when, when she's not, she doesn't have the baby bump and, and you're kind of wondering, man, is there even a baby in there? And then she starts to grow and you realize, okay, the baby's developing. There is a baby in there. And for a young husband, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind around the fact that I'm going to be a father. Like, this is very hard for me to wrap my mind around. And, and, uh, and just even wondering, how am, I going to, how, how am I going to work through this? And then, oh, the birth, oh boy, the birth. Like, this is, I've heard this is traumatic. I've watched the movies where the ladies are strapped in, they're screaming. I'm thinking, this is not going to be good. And, and I'm talking to different guys in my, in my uh, church, and they're, they're using words like wonderful, miraculous, incredible. This one guy, he's telling me, he's, oh man, your wife going through labor, having that baby, it's a miracle. I'm, oh, well, maybe it's not going to be that bad. Okay, this sounds good. And so we, we, we were traveling for all of that, uh, for, much, for much of my wife's pregnancy, and, and so we were on the road and didn't have a chance to do a lot of the um, the normal, uh, well, I shouldn't say normal. I don't know if you know this, but there, nowadays people do birthing classes. Have you ever heard of that, birthing classes? Anybody, 
Okay, I'd never heard of it either, but basically what a birthing class is, is where a young couple goes and takes this class and they explain to them, here's how the process works and here's how your baby's developing, okay, when she goes into labor, uh, these are contractions and this is transition and this is that and this is that and here's how you help your wife. And a guy basically becomes a doula by the end of the time and they learn all about birth. And my older brother, if you don't know what a doula is, ask your, your counselor afterwards, but my older brother had taken this. It was like a 16-week class, and, man, he'd learned the whole deal. And my brother is telling me, man, you ought to do this. You ought to take this class. But I couldn't because we were traveling. And so my wife and I, we get off the road. My wife's, I think, like eight months pregnant at this point, And all we had time for was a four-hour express class. And basically what that was is it's a crash course on how to have a baby in four hours. And in two hours, they talked about nutrition, and the other two hours, they talked about contractions, and that's all I knew about birth. So when my wife goes into labor, all the people who have had babies, you, you understand what, what I'm going through. For you who have never, had, never been married, you're like, I don't get what he's talking about. Okay, let me just explain this to you. We go into the, into the, my wife goes into labor, she's in a great deal of pain. They call it labor for a reason. She's in a great deal of pain, pain like I had never seen her before in. My wife's a very tough lady. She's a runner, done the half marathons and all that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, I've never seen her in pain like this. And as she's going through the contractions, she's gripping uh, the, 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 the handrail there, looking at me, her eyes are bugging out, going, when's this going to end? She was in labor for 24 hours. I remember internally thinking, where's the, where's the miracle stuff? Like, where's the awesome stuff? This is not miraculous. This is not even cool. Like, what is going on here? And I'm dying inside. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, she's saying, when's this going to end? I'm looking at the clock going, surely three more hours. I mean, 6 o'clock, I'm sure, by 6 o'clock. Honey, it's all, you're almost there. I have no idea. We get to 6 o'clock. She's still in hard labor. Not 9, maybe by 9? By, by midnight, and I'm exhausted. She's exhausted. Emotionally, it was the hardest thing I've ever gone through. I know the girls are saying, come on. But I'm just telling you, it's very hard for a husband to watch your wife in that kind of pain. Finally, uh, uh, at just past midnight, the, the midwives came in and said, okay, we got to do some things to help this along. And, and so they did all this different maneuvering. And finally, at 2 o'clock in the morning, after, and I don't want to go into great detail, but, but it was just an excruciating time where my wife is, she's in great pain. And finally, Gilbert, our little firstborn, he finally comes out. And, I, and I'm not trying to be graphic, but it was, it was with yelling. See, that last push was a scream because it was so painful. She screamed at him coming out. And, and I want you to understand this. If any other person in the world had put my wife through that level of pain, I would have laid them out. I would have tore into them. I'd have decked the guy and said, don't bother to get off the ground because you are not doing that to my wife. But I couldn't do that because it's a little baby. And <laughs> but he was, he was my baby. Okay, so Gilbert comes out and they place him into my arms. Remember, I'm not a baby person. I've not enjoyed this last 24 hours. There's nothing about this that has been hallmark, you know, flowers and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I am concluding we will never do this again. And they place this little boy in my arms and I remember being overwhelmed. I've held many babies. I'm one of eight children. I've held many babies. But there's no baby like this one. Like, this is mine. This is my son. This isn't my brother's son. This isn't my dad's son. This isn't my sister's son. This one's mine. 
humanly, biologically, scientifically. My wife and I came together and God created a life. He gave it to us. He privileged us. And this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He's got my DNA. This is my boy. And I remember he's being so moved by no one else can lay claim to him. He's mine. That night, my wife was exhausted. She's asleep, and, and little Gilbert's in this, they call it a boppy. It's this little circular kind of uh, pillow there, and he's sleeping. I couldn't sleep that night because I've just got my arm around it, just looking at him for like hours like this. This is my kid. Change a diaper? Yes, sir. <laughs> like that first meconium diaper or whatever it's called. Like, I, man, this is my, I, this is my boy's diaper. I mean, it was just... What I'm trying to do here is I want you to understand the level of ownership that came, the level of passionate love that was immediately developed was only, can only be explained by the fact that he was my boy. Gilbert's now three years old. He's not gone through teenage years. He's not broken my heart, but I want you to understand something. Gilbert could embarrass me in a service. He's done that before. Gilbert could run away from home. Gilbert could not even get saved. And I will never stop loving him. Not because I'm overflowing with just familial love. But because he's my boy, that will never change. And I love him because he's mine. And many nights I've laid him in his crib and I've whispered into his ear, Gilbert, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Not because he doesn't sin, not because he doesn't have a bad attitude. This morning I had to discipline him because he fell on the floor crying because mom wouldn't let him do something he wanted to. And I had to discipline him this morning. You know, I don't discipline him out of anger. By God's grace, I don't discipline him out of anger. It's all because I love him and I long to forgive him because he's mine. Here's Here's the point I'm trying to make. If you are born again, if you are God's child, He says, you please me because you're mine. Not because of your performance. Not because of your mistakes or not making mistakes. Because you're mine. And that will never change. Jesus is trying to help us to understand. The reason I give commandments is I want you to be close to me. But it all flows out of the understanding of how much you're loved. To the same level that... The Father loves me, which is beyond imagination. I love you, so continue in my love. Get a hold of it. Experience it. You say, Brother Reed, how do I feel that kind of love? Look at verse 10. He helps us. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You say, oh, there, see, there you go. That's what you're saying. I have to obey His commandments in order to be loved. Wrong. You are loved. That's why you can obey His commandments. And even if you don't obey His commandments, He still says you're loved, but you're missing out on the experience of it. So that's why He's saying, you want to obey my commandments because so, or so that you could experience unconditional Love. Look at, look at verse 11. Clearly, this is a bummer. Jesus is trying to tell us something that's really a bummer. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Do you think it's a bummer? No, he's saying, look, guys, I want you to know joy. I want you to know love. I want you to know your best life now, if I can put it that way. 
And it's not living every day, every day like it's Friday. It's living every day like you're loved. If you don't know Joel Osteen, that's okay. <laughs> There's a story that's told of a man by the name of F.B. Meyer. Some of you maybe recognize that name. Uh, he, he was a commentator and a pastor. He lived in England. Uh, this would have been back in the 1800s. Uh, he was a contemporary with another man by the name of C.T. Studd. Uh, C.T. Studd, if I remember correctly, he was a missionary in Africa, China. I always get that confused. Pat, Brother Herschel, do you remember C.T. Studd? Africa? Okay. Uh, missionary in Africa for a number of years. In fact, God used him to open up the interior mightily. But there was a time when both men lived in England at the same time. F.B. Meyer tells a story where one morning uh, he was rising very, very early. It was dark out. No one else was up. And he didn't give the time. I, I would guess maybe, maybe 4 o'clock in the morning. Most normal people are still asleep at this time. F.B. Meyer, he gets up. He has an engagement that he has to go to. And so he's walking down the dark cobblestone streets there in England. And, and as he's walking, he passes his good friend, C.T. Studd's house. And as he's passing C.T. Studd's house, it's early in the morning, everybody should be asleep, and the, 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 the light is on in C.T. Studd's house. And F.B. Meyer, because they were friends, he's, he's curious, he's compelled, and he turns back around, and he walks up, and he knocks on the door of C.T. Studd's house. And Brother Studd comes to the door, opens it up, and, and F.B. Meyer says, Brother Studd, I, I couldn't help but notice your light was on, and I just had to ask you, why are you up so early in the morning? And C.T. Studd is recorded to have replied... Well, the scripture says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So I've been searching the scripture this morning to see if I've missed any. You, you might think, whoa, that guy's super spiritual. Actually, not. He just got a hold of the fact that if there's something in here that God has for me, I want all of it. The truth is, young people, most of us, if we're honest... And you were honest at the beginning. Most of us, if we're honest, we don't often think, man, love commandments. Our view of commandments is, well, ignorance is bliss. Like if I don't know it's in the Bible, I can't be held accountable. If I didn't know that's how he wanted me to live, then no big deal. Like, oh, whoops, Jesus didn't know it was there. My bad. At least I had an enjoyable life on earth. <laughs> Like, I'm going to get restricted if I obey his commandments. So if I don't know, ignorance is bliss. Let me just ask you, do you think ignorance of the Lord's commandments is actually bliss? Now, we all said that intellectually. But the truth is, all of us deny what you just said. All of us have, uh, practically. Uh, back in 2019, right before my wife had our son, we were at a church, excuse me, we were at a, a Christian school in Michigan. I was traveling with another evangelist, and he was doing, if you're familiar with the War of Special Forces, it's a Minutemen deal. It's kind of like big camp games where you come in and you do your three nights of rally games with the, with the area teens. You preach the gospel to them, but you're also preaching revival services in the Christian school. And I was traveling with him during that time. And my wife at that time was seven months pregnant with Gilbert there, so he hadn't been born yet. We get to the school on one of the days, I can't remember which one day it was, maybe, maybe Thursday night, and uh, we got there Thursday morning. It's early in the morning, 7.30 in the morning before the school starts. And my, my wife is sitting in the passenger seat. And she says to me, I, I'm already not feeling well. She's seven months pregnant. You know, the legs swell. You get uncomfortable. It's just, it's not good. And, and so she says, I'm already feeling uncomfortable. Please, as soon as the day is over, as quick as we can, can we please go home? Because I, I, I'll get through today, but I don't feel well. Yes, ma'am, young husband, 
okay? I'm still a young husband, but yes, I'll, I'll, I'll remember that. And uh, we get into the day, and I'm just involved, trying to be invested in the kids, and, and to the exclusion, honestly, of, of my wife and her desires, her revealed commandments to me, if I can put it that way. And, and so we get into the evening time, and, and uh, uh, the, the team captains during one of the big ball competitions, I think it was big ball volleyball, uh, w- just one of the guys did something that I felt like was uh, unsportsmanlike and unethical, and it made me mad, and the, co- the referee didn't call it out, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to have to take this in my own hands, and I'm frustrated. So as soon as I had a chance, I had that big four-foot, camp ball and as soon as I I slammed him as hard as I could and he hit the ground and he's a bigger boy so he bounced when he hit the ground and I felt so good I was like yeah that's so good and the other team captain realizes that we're getting into it and so he's mad at us and he kind of runs in there shoves us around like what's the matter with you it's just frustrated okay we've lost our testimony at that point the evangelist recognizes what's going on so he's got this code word over the microphone that he says to tell us to cool it and uh it's so where we back off and we're like oh man that's terrible but we get into the, the evening part the gospel's preached kids get saved that night and after everyone goes home the evangelist calls in the whole team and we're going to do a debrief for the night okay so guys how did that go you talk to that person okay how'd that go? okay good 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 all right good ladies he says you're dismissed guys I want to talk to you and we know where that's going. And so the girls, including my wife, they all walk out the door. It's probably, I don't know, 9.30 or so at, at this point, 10 o'clock at night. They, they walk out into the hallway, and he sits down with us guys and says, okay, fellas, what happened? All right, I was wrong, and, and yes, and we got in the flesh, and, and we, we got it all taken care of and asked for forgiveness and, and got it all clear. Keep in mind, if you wrong someone, you need to ask for forgiveness. You can't be clear and free just by forgetting about it or refusing to talk about it. That's not resolution. That's hiding. We got, we got it dealt with, and, and so conversation's over. And then someone says, did you hear what Kamala Harris said? Oh, man, and we get into politics. And so we start talking and hashing out the world's problems, and, and uh, finally that conversation ends. That takes about 20 minutes. We're just shooting the breeze, and in my mind, I'm wondering, uh, I'm sure my wife is out doing something, whatever the girls do after the rally night. And so we finish the conversation, and I step out into the hallway, and I look down both sides of the hallway, and I'm, I don't see my wife anywhere. I said, well, I wonder where Emma is. And I'm sure she's doing whatever girls do, and she'll probably tell me when she's ready to go. And so I go down to the kitchen to eat cold pizza with the other team captains. Do you remember what my wife had asked me at the beginning of the day? Where do you guess she is right now? All the girls know where she's at. <laughs> and so where am I? Down in the kitchen eating cold pizza. Wondering, I wonder, I wonder when Emma's going to be ready. I hope she lets me know when she's ready. And so I'm eating cold pizza. We're talking away. And, and I finally, it dawns on me, oh, maybe she texted me. And I pull out my phone, and there's a text from 45 minutes previous that says, I'm in the car. Please hurry. And at this point, I'm a young husband, and I know how this conversation is going to go. <laughs> I'm embarrassed because I've let her down. I've assumed that she's going to be mad at me. And so I immediately turn into self-defense mode. And I run out to the car, and I whip open the door, and I say, why didn't you tell me you were out here? And she responds, I thought I did tell you that as soon as the day was over, I'm not feeling well, and I wanted to go home. And as soon as she reminded me of her words, I will tell you, my ignorance was not bliss. We went back to our host home and we sat up late that night making it right because we didn't want to go to bed angry or frustrated. And honestly, it was my fault. But here's what I'm trying to communicate. It all happened because her desire for me had been communicated. 
I had ignored it. And for the 45 minutes of eating pizza and talking about politics, it was bliss. But when I was reminded of what she told me, I would have given all of that back to go back and have been obedient. And that is what the Father is saying to us. Young people, there is coming a day when your ignorance will not be bliss. When we are going to stand before the Lord and He's going to say, my child, it was all written right there. But, 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 but Lord, I, I, didn't know that, I didn't know that that was going to be worldly. I, I didn't think that you would be bothered by that. I didn't realize that friendship with the world was enmi- an enemy of God. He's going to say, my child, I gave it to you because I wanted you to know. But, but Lord, I didn't know he was going to die and go to hell. How did I supposed to know that I was supposed to be the one that witnessed to him? And the Lord's going to say, my child, I gave you the pathway. I even gave you the power. I told you, like last night, even chariots of iron are no problem. Just trust me and I'll do it. And we will not, young people, be able to stand before the seed of God and say, but I didn't know. why, as Brother Herbster mentioned this morning, it's so paramount. Guys, this is not just a handbook to get closer to God. Like, hey, here's what you do. Read three chapters a day and you become a good Christian. That's not the point. The point is this book is filled with the love of God and he offers to us his commandments, not so that we would resist him, but so that we would know his love. How many of you have gone on family vacation uh, with your entire family, packed all into a vehicle. Raise your hand. You got on family vacation, okay? All right, very good. At least all of you drove here, probably most of you drove here in a van. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you have gone on vacation or you do this trip and you get back home and your van is spick and span? What, what does your van look like at the end of family vacation? Trashed. Okay, it just, it's terrible, okay? You got all kinds of junk. And, and so imagine with me, you go on family vacation and your dad says to you, you guys get home, and he says, okay, he comes to you and says, uh, son, I'd like you to go and I want you to clean the van. Okay, he gives you a commandment and, and, it, and it's clear. And he runs off, he has to go do some things. And, and so two scenarios. First scenario, you forget to clean the van. Okay, so you do your thing, and, and uh, your dad comes home, and he walks up to the van, he opens up the door and slides it open, and a smell just hits him, you know, dirty clothes and, and uh, graham crackers and things like that in there. And let me ask you, when he walks into the house, he'd given you a command, you neglected it, he walks into the house, does dad still love you? He absolutely does. Now, some of you may feel like, I'm not so sure, <laughs> But the truth is, if you do have a good father who would be a representation of the Heavenly Father, oh, he still loves you. That will never change. In fact, if someone uh, called out, yelled out fire, and the fire alarms went off, or the smoke detectors went off, and all of a sudden there was a dire emergency, the van is of little importance to him. He's going to scoop you up and pull you outside and hug you close. Okay, so he loves you. But because you neglected his commandment, how is the relationship between you and the Father? not so good. It's not close. It's not intimate. You don't feel close because of disobedience. In fact, when he walks through the door and says, hey, son, you're like, oh, rats. You don't want to see him. You don't want to be around him because you know there's a reckoning coming, right? Okay, second scenario. Dad says, hey, I'd like you to clean the van, and you obey. And man, you clean it well. You wash the windows. You do the whole thing, and, and, and you... you uh, uh, you're you're at the, inside the house and dad comes home and he opens up the van. He's like, oh, wow, this looks incredible. Does dad still love you regardless? How is the relationship now? Man, he's pleased. 
This is wonderful. Oh, I mean, I love them, but this is, they obeyed. Oh, they did a good job. And so he, he runs into the house. He's looking for you and you're looking for him. Okay, did dad notice? Did dad see? Hey, dad, did you, did, did you notice what I did? I'm telling you, the relationship is so much better. All hinging upon obedience. Guys, and I, and I need to be finished here. Uh, God is not trying to twist your arm into obedience. What he is saying is, I want you to experience love. So if you, if you would do what I say, guess what you'll have? Your best life, love, joy, friendship. You know the Ten Commandments, young people, are not a, group, a listing of restrictions? Our world today thinks they are. They're actually not a listing of like, hey guys, if you really want to have fun, go out and cheat, steal, and, and, and rape somebody. No, the Ten Commandments actually are an extension of God's love for a society. Would you want to live in a society that didn't honor the Ten Commandments? Like, hey, this neighborhood over here, uh, you don't, if you murder someone, kill someone, take, uh, take, steal their, their stuff, uh, that'll, that will not be penalized. You know, go to a mall in California, you're not going to get convicted if you steal stuff from there, okay? Like, if, would you want to live in a, in a neighborhood like that? No, because commandments are actually the best thing for society. And so God is saying, my commandments are for you. Let me conclude with this because I'm about out of time. So just, just stick with me for these last couple of minutes. Here's my last question for you. Ready? Why is it that we naturally don't embrace the commandments? There's some of you right now that are struggling maybe internally because you have your life, your music, your movies, your relationships, your social media platforms, and no one is going to tell me what to do. Internally, you find yourself resisting. Is that just because you are a rebel? Or is it bigger than that? I would propose that's actually something much deeper than that. In Genesis chapter 3, we see why, preacher included, all of us struggle with commandments. In Genesis chapter 3, well, let me ask you this. Before Genesis chapter 3, that's the fall. Before Genesis chapter 3, how was Adam and Eve's relationship with God? What, what was it like? Was it distant or close? You tell me. Intimate? Absolutely. They walked with God every day. Could it have gotten any better? None of us have ever experienced what it was like uh, when, when Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of day. It was the most incredible relationship any mortal man has, with, has had with God. They're, they're, they love being with God until the serpent enters into the garden. And this is his argument. Whoa. Hath God said, ye shall not eat of the fruit of the tree which is in the... Uh, uh, ye shall not eat of the, uh, the trees of the garden? This is, this is what his, his uh, uh, argument is. Hey, 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 did God tell you you can't eat of these trees? Now let me ask you, is that what God had told Adam and Eve? He, okay, so this is, what, this is what the serpent says. Whoa, 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 Eve, you can't eat of these trees. God told you you can't eat of all these trees. That's not what God said. God actually said just the opposite. He said, see all these trees? You can have them all but one. But the serpent is trying to convince Eve that God's restrictive. Uh, did God say you couldn't eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden? And she says, no, 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 we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, that lone tree... Ye shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know 
that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Do you see what the serpent's doing? He's feeding Eve a lie that every one of us, every one of us have believed. I'm not sure if being obedient is going to work out for me. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe, maybe God's holding out on me. When you read verse 5, God knows that if you disobey him, oh, that's where life starts. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And we, and we look at that and we think, maybe, maybe the serpent knows something I don't know. Maybe, maybe I am missing out on something. So what happens? Eve takes the bait. She believes the lie. Maybe, maybe God doesn't have my best interest at mind. Maybe God is restrictive. Maybe I'll try the fruit and see if it's better. The very three things that the serpent tempted her with, ye shall be as gods, your eyes shall be open, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil, are the very three things that happened. Those things that she was trying to do to escape restriction would be the very three things that would curse her and put her into bondage. Verse 7 says, after taking the bite, giving to Adam, verse 7 says, and the eyes of them both were opened. Let me ask you, good or bad? Is that, was that a good thing or a bad thing? Verse 22 says, God speaking says, they have become as one of us, become as gods, knowing good and evil. When Adam and Eve believed that, I'm not sure, okay, I know God said we weren't supposed to do that, but he's making it sound like He's making it sound like that's pretty good. So uh, the tree, obedience, the tree, obedience, the fruit. Uh, yeah, that, that rule, that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, maybe God is not as good as we thought he was. Okay, I'm going to try the tree. And they found bondage. Young people, this is how the devil comes to you. He says, you've never slept around? Oh, you don't know what you're missing. You've never tried marijuana? Oh, man, you're missing out. You've never, you've never tried going to that party, sneaking out of the house, going with your friends to that party? Oh, you haven't watched that movie? Everybody's watched Top Gun. I can't believe you've watched it. That's what the devil does. And anybody who has ever slept around before marriage will tell you that's exactly right. You're missing out. You're missing out on shame. You're missing out on remorse. You're missing out on regret. You're missing out on pain. Look, children ought not be a mistake. Children are a blessing. And yet people who take the devil's lie find out every time, I wish I had obeyed God's commandments. I'm pleading with you young people. The devil already this week is trying to whisper to you, it's not worth it, man. Don't give it up. You're going to miss out on really living if you give it up. If you surrender, if you surrender your life, you surrender the relationship, you surrender those movies, you surrender your, your reputation, man, you're going to miss out. And that is the exact opposite. Is there anyone in history who has believed the devil's lie? Resist God and experience life. That's the devil's lie. Resist commandments and experience life. Is there anyone in history who has ever experienced that? Never. You'll never find one. Selena Gomez has not found it. Miley Cyrus has not found it. Demi Lovato has not found it. 
All three of those young ladies in the last two years have revealed, look, these are the ladies that are taking their topless photos. These are the ladies that are going out there drinking and, and doing the drugs and sleeping around and saying, this is American life. And those are the same three ladies that in the last two years have all come out with saying, I'm suicidal. I want to take my life. I can't do this any longer. Because you know what they found out? When they disobeyed the commandments of God, when they just lived in evil rebellion, they found bondage, not life, not love not joy, not friendship. The gift of God, young people, is that he is saying, my child, I love you. Don't live in the lie of the devil. Experience my love. Obey my commandments. What about you? Would you be willing to put God to the test? Say, Lord, I want to try obedience. And I want to see if it's better. It's okay to put him to the test. That's not testing God in the sense of of uh, 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 what it says in the New Testament, that's just saying, Lord, I just want to see, are your ways better? I can promise you, based upon the scriptures and based upon my own experience, it's better. 